John 4, verses 1 through 30. Now when Jesus had learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, What do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Good morning, Harvest Muskoka family. My name is Pastor Matt, and I'm excited to announce our new sermon series. Over the next four weeks, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Christ Encounters. 
We're going to take four different stories of four different people who encountered Christ in the New Testament, and we're going to see how their lives were changed and, and affected as a result of encountering Christ. And so today we're going to be talking out of, out of John chapter 4 of, of the woman at the well. And you just heard the passage read to you. And so for a lot of us who have been Christians for a while, it's going to be a passage that we're familiar with. It's one that we've come across a couple of times. And I just want to encourage you, don't allow your familiarity or, or your comfort with the text to distract or pull you away from, from really what the Lord is showing. Because we're, as we look at Christ's encounter of the woman at the well, we're about to see a woman whose life literally changed and transformed in the spiritual truth and power that were offered to her on that day is available for you here today as well. Let me start by praying. So Father God, we just thank you, Lord, for this opportunity as, as we're literally looking out and, and seeing the beauty of your hand of creation in Muskoka. Lord, let us look to your word and, and Lord, let the beauty of what your word says even outdo the beauty of this beautiful landscape behind us. We love you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. So in the passage that you just heard, it really just set everything on the table for me now just to dissect it a little bit, verse by verse. And so you start to see Christ is traveling from one, one city to another. And what I love in verse 6 is it, it's saying that Christ is tired. It's saying that Christ is, is, is weary. And I, oh, I, I find such joy in that verse. Because Christ is, is both fully God and fully man. And you see that even as he's ministering, even as he's being obedient, as he's being faithful, we see that he grows tired and weary. I don't know about you, but first of all, right off of the bat as a pastor, I find such encouragement in that. I, I, I find such, such affirmation in that. That if, if it was fitting for the perfect son of God, for him to grow weary in times of ministry, how much more will I do that very same thing? And so you see Christ is, is tired and he's weary from his traveling. And so he, he goes to this well and immediately says it's the sixth hour. And you got to understand that the sixth hour, it, it's referencing that it, it's noon during that time. Now understand culturally and geographically, noon is not a time when you're at the well. Too hot. That's when everybody kind of goes into their, their homes, into their sweet AC. They Uber eats their Chipotle. Um, that's not the time that you go out. And, and so he is going to the well and there's a woman there at a time in which people shouldn't be at the well. This woman has chosen a time where she's not going to see people. She's not going to run into people. Um, for some reason, she's isolated and is an outcast. And so what I love about as Christ is encountering this woman is you start to see Christ is initiating a relationship with her, not the other way around. Verse 7, it says that Jesus comes to this outcast woman and he initiates conversation with her. But you don't understand, this isn't just a, a, a strange conversation. This isn't just a, a random thing. This conversation is taboo. This type of conversation isn't allowed. This type of conversation shouldn't even take place. So much so that she's caught off guard and she's going, why do you, why do you ask this of me? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. 
you got to understand that Christ being a Jew, the Jews thought the Samaritans were unclean people. You don't talk to them, you distance yourselves from them. So instantly, as Christ is engaging her in this conversation, she's immediately going, why are you even talking to me? I'm unclean and I am less than. But you know what I love? I love that what, what Christ saw in that woman, what Christ is seeing in that person, isn't somebody who's unclean. He looks at that woman and says, there's an image bearer. There's a life made in the image of God that God has made. And out of his love for this woman, not pity, not some type of like religious obligation, out of great love for this woman, he starts to engage her in conversation. I, I love this because you start to see that, that Christ sees life through a, light, a lens of grace. And so what I love about grace is grace has eyes for people that religion doesn't even want to look at. Grace interacts with people that religion wants to forget. Grace approaches those who religion would rather just push to the side and, and ostracize. And so Christ now initiates relationship with her. He's talking with her. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus says to her, as, as, as they're using the analogy of water from the well, Jesus says to her, everyone who drinks of this water is going to be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. See, Christ is using their surroundings, the well, the water. He's using it as an analogy to unlock a profound, spiritual, eternal truth. Christ is going to her saying, you think you need this, but I have something far greater than anything you're pursuing right now. Yeah. This thing that you're pursuing, this type of water might give you a, a temporal uh, needs met, but it's going to be fleeting. I have something that, that is going to go beyond just a, a biological need. I have something that you can drink from that is so good, so powerful, so transformative that you will literally never thirst from again. Now, if you start to see that Christ is drawing her in, and now and if this woman isn't just going to study about this living water that Christ is going to offer her, uh, but she wants to partake of the living water, you start to see that Christ is going to do a very important thing. And it's, it's in verses 16 through 19. Read it with me. So Jesus says to her, so go call your husbands and come here. And the woman answered him, I, I, I have no husbands. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and now the one that you are with is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. See, Christ just demonstrated to her that he has a wisdom and a discernment and a knowledge that far exceeds anything that a man could conjure up on his own. And so instantly, that's why her language starts to change with Christ. Because now she's going, ah, I heard what you just said. Clear, you're different. 
There's something different about you, Christ. I, I, I see that you're a prophet. And, and what's so funny about that is, is he is more than just a prophet. He's a savior. But Christ is continually drawing her in. And the farther in she comes, the more she begins to understand who she is bit by bit by bit. But then Christ really, uh, in a sweet, loving, but truthful way, also calls out her sin. He's calling out some of the things in her life that, that, that's sinful or, or, or dysfunctional or things that just are, are very broken. And the reason why Christ is, is doing this is not because he's trying to define her by her sin, but rather he's starting to show her this living water isn't just a good idea. This living water isn't just a cute thing. You need to drink from this living water. This living water is a necessity if you'll never want to thirst from again. And even as he's talking to her about this, again, she still doesn't know that Christ is who he fully is. And so Christ, in such gentleness and grace, even with her not getting who he is, he brings her into another dialogue uh, in verses 21 through 23. Read it with me, church. Uh, uh, 20 through 23. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. This is the woman speaking. But you say that in Jerusalem, there's a place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me. The hour is coming when neither of us on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. I love that last line. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. He's actually playing out that last line with her right then and there. Christ is seeking her so that she will begin a relationship with Him that, that will be filled with both spirit and truth. And, and Christ just really demonstrated to her this, this, what He's about to accomplish on earth. And who's he telling it to? He's not telling it to the CEOs. He's not telling it to, to the wealthy or, or to the powerful or the people who have it all together. He's displaying these profound, gorgeous truths to a woman who is unclean in people's eyes, to a woman who people are trying to avoid. A woman who is just in the middle of her sin and in the middle of her struggling. And he goes to that woman and he is giving her glimpses of the most profound, awe-inspiring, transformational work that he is going to accomplish on earth. See, Christ is, is alluding that, you know what, what the Old Testament prophets prophesied about and, and how the temples were the places in which the Spirit of God rested. I'm changing that model so that now you do not have to go to a place to merely just sit and worship, but rather the temple is it, going to be within you and I'm going to put my spirit within you. He's changing the model. This is a radical message that Christ is unrolling and unraveling for the community and he's showing it to the most unlikely of people and praise God for that because that is that's you and that's that's myself 
And I think these verses where it says you don't have to go to a mountaintop to worship. You're not going to have to just simply go to this one random temple to worship and to find the Spirit of God, but rather, I'm going to put that Spirit within you. This message shows in a season of pandemic and COVID that the mission, the vision, and the power of church has not been threatened in this season. We see that, you know what, if, if we had to socially isolate and, and the only way that we could experience God was, was some distant temple that we had to go, to go visit with 10% capacity, we're all in a lot of trouble pretty quickly. But thank God for these verses that he's showing. I'm changing the model and I'm putting my spirit in you. It's going to both transform you and in the verses ahead, you're going to see it transforms those who are around her in her life. It's not about a temple now. It's not about a building. It's not about a, a select group of people. We now get to see that Christ is making the Spirit of God personal and intimate. And He is continually wooing her into this conversation that's going to lead to a relationship. So we see these Christ encounters. It, it, it changes us. It changes this woman first from the inside, and then it's going to change the outside. You see it in verses 28 through 30. So the woman left her jar of water and went away into the town and said to people, Come, see a man who told me of all that I have done. Can this be the Christ? They went out from the town and were coming to him. She is now changed on mission and is now bringing others to this Christ who is talking about this living water. Look at this beautiful transformation. She drinks the water that Christ has offered. In verse 20, uh, 28, it says that she gets up. And there's one small phrase I think we could easily pass by, and it's this. She left the jug of water. Why was she at the well? To get water. And now she's left the well, not getting what she thought she needed, but rather she experienced what she truly needed. And now she's going forward in a different type of strength, a different type of wisdom, in a different type of water. And the ways in which she drank before now look completely different in her life. And, and, and what I think is fascinating in this verse is that you start to see that she's going into town and telling others, come see this Christ, come see this man. But I had to stop and say, was this just not, just a little couple of verses ago, was this not the woman who was trying to hide from people? Was this not the, the woman who was trying to isolate herself from people? Was this not the woman just a few verses ago that was, was an outcast? And in one encounter with Christ, she is changed and transformed. She is empowered and emboldened by a life-giving water that was gifted to her by Christ. And now she's going to the very people she feared and hid from and isolated away from. This is unbelievable. Let's just slow down for a moment. One encounter with Christ frees and erases a woman 
of shame, guilt, people-pleasing, fearing man, being less than, being dirty, and one intimate encounter with a good God changes everything from her inner thoughts now to her outer actions. You see, religion saw a dirty, less than, shameful, guilt-ridden human being. But praise God, he saw a future daughter of his. He saw another image bearer. And after freeing her from, from the bondage of her sin, after speaking life-giving words over her and over her shame, she's now called into ministry. She's not just partaking of, of drinking the water, but now she's called and, and is leading a charge, encouraging others to come drink that water. One encounter with Christ, and it changes everything. Church, can I ask you a question? I want you to reflect on that moment in your life. That moment in your life where you were just like the woman at the well. It was just a, another day in your old ways, feeling stuck, feeling far from God, um, stuck in our struggles, being ostracized, feeling shame, feeling guilt, feeling broken. And I want you to go back and reflect on that moment in your life when you encountered Christ and he spoke a different narrative over you and offered you a different life. What, as you reflect on that, what, what did you see happen within you? Or just like this woman at the well, what did you see happen in you and, and how did it affect those who are around you? Because the woman at the well, she wasn't just inwardly transformed. It transformed how she now approached everything in life, bringing other people to Christ. Or and maybe as you reflect on that, this moment of salvation in your life, it's awe-inspiring. Maybe right now you're in tears going, thank you, Lord. Or maybe you're just thinking about it and it doesn't really strike you as anything. Maybe through busyness, maybe through over-familiarity. Um, you, you can recall that moment, but it just doesn't stir anything in you. Uh, you think about that transformational moment and it's just kind of, you, you just feel numb and apathetic. Can I encourage you? Reflect on that moment when Christ gave you that water that changed your life. And if, if you can remember that moment, go back to that moment and remember the goodness of God in that moment. And maybe your greatest prayer that you'll pray today is, God, bring me back to that awe. Take me away from this familiarity that is powerless. And Lord, bring me back to reminding me of how good that water that you offered me tasted, how satisfying you are, how good you are, how transformational you are in my life. 
And maybe you need to ask the Lord, like, Lord, just bring me back to that awe. Forgive me of my apathy. Forgive me of my numbness. And, and let my heart have a joy and sing a song again in that area. You see, the gospel meets us where we're at, dirt and all. The gospel gives us a glimpse into beauty, joy and all. The gospel calls out our sin and shows us of our need, deep need for him in perfect love and truth. But the gospel doesn't just change us and transforms us. It gets us up and it gets us moving and and it, it puts us on mission. We don't stay the same and we don't stand still. After we taste this water, it leads to a mission, a missional life that goes on. We don't stay outcasts. We don't stay defeated. We're not continual leopards. We're not called to be lazy. We cannot genuinely encounter Christ and not change. And, and maybe, maybe you're just religious. And I, I mean that in the most negative sense of the phrase. Maybe the, the, the drinking from the well, uh, you're just like, you're apathetic to it, you're numb to it, you're whatever to it. And maybe you're religious and using the well analogy, you're still just standing at the well holding a pitcher of water. And hearing Christ's words don't impact you in the least. Experiencing Christ hasn't put you on any type of mission and you've done nothing with it. I want you to know there's an area of your life that that means that the gospel has not permeated yet. And you need to surrender those areas of your life to the Lord that he would change your lack of mission or lack of all. And he would, he would swap it with, with joy and with, with, with action. Your encounter with Christ is simply that. It's your encounter with Christ. If that transformation hasn't happened in you, or that transformation hasn't happened uh, in the cities around you. And those cities might be your marriage, your parenting, your work, um, the, the, the areas of, that you just involve yourself in in life. If that transformation hasn't happened in you and it isn't becoming missional in your life, are you ready? Don't blame your church. Don't blame your pastor. Others can't do the transformation for you. Others can't force the living water down your throat and the throat of, of your spouse or, or of your kids. Sometimes the most miserable, stuck, religious Christians are the ones holding a water pitcher, a pitcher of water that they're called to let go of while not drinking the life-giving water while yelling at other people who are at the well. Why don't you do this better? Why can't you change this? Why, why have you not fixed my marriage yet? Why have you not done this for me yet? The answer is your encounters with Christ are limited to your encounters with Christ. No person can manufacture that inner transformation. And as you go missionally, no, no church institution does that for you. This is something so sweet and so intimate for you and for your Savior. Are you that type of Christian today? Do you find yourself in that type of position where, where it's like, yeah, I know about the life-giving water. Are you drinking from it? No. 
How do you feel? Terrible. My answer is, of course. Or, or you know, how, how are these, what's your time with the Lord look like? What's this intimacy with Christ look like in your life? I, I don't really care and I don't really know. But why doesn't my relationship with God feel vibrant? Doesn't take too many sessions to get down to the root of that. But then we start to see. We see that this water isn't just offered to pure, healthy people. It's offered to those who are sick and ostracized. And here's a powerful thought, that God's work in your life might just be so profound, so transformational, that the ingredients in the woman's life at the well that led her to the greatest shame, perhaps the parts of her testimony that led to the greatest isolation in her life, might just be the ingredients that God uses to show the power of the living water in those areas of her life. Now, why is that good news for her? Because it's good news also for us. Why is that good news for us? It's because perhaps that thing that makes you try to run and hide and isolate in life, that thing that just makes you feel so less than and defeated, those are living water encounters. Those are Christ's spirit-filled encounters that God just might use those areas where you feel the greatest shame, the greatest stuckness, the greatest hurt, the greatest struggle. And that might just be the stage that God desires to use to transform your life and to transform those who are around you as you go on mission. How great is it that we see in Christ's encounters, Christ is the initiator. How great is it to see that in, in Christ's encounters, Christ sees it all. How great is it that in Christ's encounters, the gospel changes us from the inside and then it changes us as we go on mission. And I'm here to encourage you here today, church, as you listen. What greater love could you ever have than a God who fully knows you? both the stuff you put on Facebook and the stuff that you have never told another human about. He knows it all and out of his love, he initiates relationship with you, saves you, redeems you, has joy over you and now calls you into a glorious mission. Church, this should change how we live. This should change how we worship. And so I wanna give you a challenge that, that on this day before we go out on our boats, before we go mow the lawn, before we go take our Labradoodle or some weird type of poodle mix dog that you all own, spend a couple of minutes and be in awe of the moment you drank from that living water. Worship the one who offered it to you and ask God to give you a specific person or place to go on mission with. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that when we encounter you, we can't help but be changed. We can't help but be transformed. God, I thank you that you meet unclean people. Lord, your grace has eyes for those who are low, for those who are dirty. And I thank you for that fact, God, because that was me. And Lord, I thank you that you, you offered me and us listening this living water to draw from. And I pray, God, in the moments and in the days ahead, would that water not just continually change and transform us, would it put us on mission with those who we do life with? 
We thank you. There is none like you. We praise you for you, you, that water that you offer, that eternal life that you give us. It, it's sufficient. It's more than enough. It is good. It is all we need. And I thank you that you let us drink from it richly. You are a good God who does beautiful work in your people. We praise you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.